Well, hello again. This is Brent for Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. It is presently the evening of Sunday, January 13th, 2019. This is the first blogcast of the new calendar year, and the first in a couple of weeks since the Redskins season officially ended in ignominy. This weekend was, of course, the divisional round of the playoffs. The Cowboys were eliminated yesterday, and the Eagles were eliminated today. Now, as a lowly Redskins fan, I consider myself hardly in a position to revel in those failures. But hey, let's face it, they didn't exactly bother me. So, I was sufficiently inspired to record a few forthcoming thoughts about the current state of the Redskins. Here we go. First of all, because the Redskins have, of course, not played a game in two weeks, or for that matter, done much of anything, really, in an official capacity. I'm going to spend like five minutes on the three other teams in the NFC East, since two of them actually not only made the playoffs, but won playoff games. So I think they deserve a little bit of attention. First of all, the Cowboys lost to a really good and really dialed in Rams team, but they ended up being a much better team this season than most of us expected, especially down the stretch when it counted and especially after having acquired Amari Cooper at the trade deadline. Cooper is obviously not going to be going anywhere, so they will be moving forward with a decent young quarterback, a tremendous young running back, and at the very least, a very high-ceiling number one wide receiver. Their offensive line is, of course, good and not especially old, and Travis Frederick will likely be returning next year, too. And with the emergence of Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch to join Demarcus Lawrence and Byron Jones. I hate to say it, but the Cowboys' defense is also young and good. As an aside, it's kind of amazing that Sean Lee's time with the Cowboys has apparently drawn, or at least is drawing to a close, and yet somehow they've actually improved at the inside linebacker position. That's kind of scary. Now, I still don't get too worried or worked up about Jason Garrett as head coach, and he's possibly going to be getting an extension here. I also think Jerry Jones remains capable of undermining the whole operation at any moment, but they'll probably be a formidable opponent for the Redskins for the next few years. Now, the Eagles ended up being, I think, probably just about what I thought they'd be, which is to say a good team, but not as good as we were led to believe during last year's magical playoff run. In fact, in hindsight, it sure seems kind of inevitable that the Foles Magic was eventually going to run out. Now, the huge question about the Eagles going forward, of course, is at the quarterback position, not because I think there's any real question as to who they'll choose, but more because the career path of Carson Wentz is becoming a little curious given his two significant injuries so far. I think he's a hell of a player, but you do kind of have to wonder if he's really destined for a decade of Pro Bowl appearances after all. The Eagles offensive line has been good these last couple of years. But Jason Peters is really getting up there in age, and in fact, I don't think he was even able to finish today's game due to a back injury. And then also, apparently, Brandon Brooks, who's a really good guard for them, supposedly tore his Achilles today. So it's a good line with Kelsey and Lane Johnson, but some more questions there moving forward for them. They have a pretty good group of skill position players on offense. If you consider Jeffrey, who had, of course, the back-breaking drop at the end of today's game, but is a good player. Then Ajayi coming back from injury, and of course, their outstanding tight end, uh, Zach Ertz. And then their rookie tight end this year, Goddard, he's a pretty good player too. So they should probably have a good offense next year, but I'm not sure that it will be, you know, really good. On defense, I think some of the Eagles' fearsome pass rushers are getting up there in age. 
But Cox and Barnett are good and still very young, so that's trouble. I like Hicks on the inside. And their secondary has some extremely talented young guys, but they've uh, all had serious injury history. So I think that defense is probably going to be kind of average. Overall, I think the Eagles will probably take another small step backwards next year. And lastly, the Giants, who were kind of a punchline for most of this year, but then if you weren't paying attention, they did kind of start, unfortunately, to kind of get it together a little bit in November and December for their new coach, Pat Shermer. The Giants now have absolute freakazoids at wide receiver and at running back. Beckham and Barkley, of course, both have a very, very long way to go before there is a sufficient body of work, but dare I say, they both actually have, at least just based on raw talent, Hall of Fame potential. They have another good young receiver in Shepard. The young tight end Ingram started to come on a little bit. Their offensive line is still well below average, so they're going to have to definitely put some resources into that, but they certainly will. And then quarterback. This, of course, is the big question for them. Do they really believe Eli has another good year or another year left in him? There is a lot of smoke about them loving Dwayne Haskins and that feeling being mutual. And if they get him and he pans out, and they add one or two legitimate offensive linemen, this offense could be very explosive immediately next year. On defense, they've still got some nice players, including and especially Olivier Vernon. And then who knows exactly what's going to happen with Landon Collins, but he's awesome. Janoris Jenkins is a pretty nice corner, so if they bring back Collins and add another piece or two, I think that defense will be decent. So I think, again, especially if they get a quarterback, the Giants are going to be trouble. In fact, I think they'll be better than the Eagles next year. Now, Landon Collins, by the way, if the Giants don't aggressively go after re-signing him, because yeah, he's unrestricted, I'd have to think that he's someone who the Redskins would look long and hard at recruiting and offering pretty big money to if they can find it somewhere within their cap situation. And I'd be down with that because that could maybe, maybe, just maybe finally actually answer the Redskins' long-standing safety question with Swearinger gone, Nicholson floundering, and HaHa Clinton Dix just being terrible. All right, now, finally, on to the team that we all hate to love to hate or something like that, the Washington Redskins. So, of course, even acknowledging that, yes, yet again, the Redskins fell victim to a hellish injury bug, most of us, as fans, have been sitting here gradually recognizing over these last couple of years that there are, there remain, in fact, some very serious problems with the fiber, with the very DNA of the Redskins organization. And I'd say most of us were certainly hoping hoping for significant change, if not at the head coaching level, then at least in the front office. By the way, I just want to say how very impressed and in fact proud I am of all of you for sustaining the hashtag Fire Bruce Allen movement at a fever pitch for several weeks despite the stagnation. I probably don't need to explain hashtag fire Bruce Allen to most of you, but if for some reason you're still not on Twitter, suffice it to say that the topic of firing Bruce Allen has been one of the most popular discussion points in the eastern United States for almost a month, which is really just a beautiful and righteous thing. Now, of course, despite the hashtag movement, we've had reports, mind you, no official word from the team, but pretty solid reports, that Jay Gruden will, in fact, be retained as head coach, and more importantly, and far more painfully and destructively, Bruce Allen, in the wake 
of Brian LaFemina's firing will not only be retained as head of football operations, but also possibly regain control of business operations. That's right, the natural consequence for his continued utter ineptitude is that Bruce Allen has once again been actually given more power, influence, and responsibility within the Redskins organization. Happy frickin' New Year! Now, on this subject, let me please first get one very critically important thing out of the way. I'd say, on Twitter, the few objectors to the hashtag FireBruceAllen movement have generally complained on the grounds, not that Bruce Allen is actually good, but that he's not the primary problem, and that, in fact, that would be one Daniel Snyder, the owner of the team. And so I think some of you are concerned or confused that that the majority angst would be directed at Bruce when Dan is the main problem. And to that, I I guess I would just say simply, duh, duh, we know, we know. We all know that Dan is the main problem. Dan is a complete disaster as an owner and leader of not only a football team, but I would think any substantial group of people, uh, of course, his gigantic fortune notwithstanding. He refuses to, con- uh, to communicate with his constituents. The majority of his hires are bad and stupid, or if not, then the subsequent firings are. He's now owned the team for just about 20 years, and in that time frame, the Redskins are one of only three NFC teams not to reach the NFC Championship game. A single time. He price gouges the fans. He's sued the fans. He's excessively loyal to incompetent stooges, and he is apparently neither liked nor respected by anyone else of importance in the league. So yes, friends, I realize Dan Snyder is the main problem. And moreover, it has occurred to me that his ownership may actually prohibit even one truly great season for the Redskins. But here's the thing. Dan ain't going anywhere. Dan's not selling the team. We can't get rid of Dan. Dan is not going to move on because of an obnoxious hashtag, even if we change it to hashtag sell the team Dan or hashtag sell Dan sell or hashtag Dan blows. None of it matters. We can't get rid of Dan. We're stuck with Dan. Even as he sucks as an owner, the team is making him tons and tons of money. And now it should definitely be making him even more because there should be more of us as fans because he should be winning more and we'd all be watching more and buying more tickets and buying more merchandise. And he should know that he'd make more money if the team was better. But he either doesn't know that somehow or doesn't believe it or doesn't care or just doesn't know how to make the team better. And that one is almost definitely true, but it's probably some combination of all of those shortcomings. The only hope we have as fans that the Redskins will be able to string together a couple of useful, worthwhile seasons and maybe someday in our lifetimes make or even win a Super Bowl. The only hope we have is that he fires Bruce, cleans house, finally lucks into a good hire for president and or GM, and then somehow, inexplicably, or perhaps due to extreme, severe illness, or religious conversion, or hypnotism, he figures out that he needs to get the hell out of the way, and then the new guy gets to run the show and he actually does a good job. That is our hope. It is slim to none, but that's it. That's all we've got. Dan's not leaving. So yes, I know that the fish rots from the head down, in the words of Fred Smoot, and he is the main issue. But hashtag Fire Bruce Allen is all about changing the one thing that actually could and definitely could change, potentially move the team back into 
a position from which winning is not inconceivable. If you follow me on Twitter, at BurgundyBlog, you may have noticed that during week 17, I posted a poll asking simply, should Dan Snyder fire Bruce Allen, yes or no? After about 1,500 votes, the poll was 98% in favor of firing Bruce. Then the tweet got retweeted by Matthew Barry, so, you know, like a million people saw it and it went mainstream. And fans of other teams, presumably some fans of teams in the NFC East, also started voting. So 15,000 votes later, Bruce's approval rating actually jumped from 2% to 10%. But yeah, after a week on Twitter, this poll resulted in 90% of people feeling and voting that Dan Snyder should fire Bruce Allen. In my opinion, for Twitter, that is a stunning degree of consensus. Dan is the main problem, but Dan's not going anywhere, so the only hope of the Redskins winning, in spite of Dan, we, we know that it will never be because of Dan, but the only hope of them somehow catching lightning in a bottle and, and having a big year and going to the soup, in spite of Dan, is that he replaces Bruce with somebody competent and finally just stops meddling. Like the rest of us, you probably made a New Year's resolution. If you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder, or whatever, it all starts with a good night's rest. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter my promo code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, Shipping is absolutely free. That's right. No shipping cost. Zippo, zilch, nada. And don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There is nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and use my code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, to get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. MyPillow.com or call 800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code COZY. You've heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. You heard right, Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people. But there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesdays, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, WGN America presents the new TV series, Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel, but he finds himself way in over his head. And the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure. Wednesdays starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV Channel 307, Dish Channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. Now, Bruce Allen has been the president of the Redskins for nine seasons. They've been to the playoffs twice with zero playoff wins. I'm not going to look it up again, but his record in that span is well under 500. He's embarrassed the team in any number of ways, ranging from the ways he handled um, Mike Shanahan, former Super Bowl winner, also Robert Griffin, also Kirk Cousins, also Scott McLuhan, 
He certainly contributed to the embarrassment of the eight-month tenure of Brian LaFemina and several other lower-level business executives. He apparently made the final call on Reuben Foster and then sent Doug Williams out to die for it. He may have foisted Alex Smith on the rest of the staff and team without much input from them, and he may have been the main driver in giving him a huge contract extension that probably wasn't necessary. He made the infamous comments about Harvest Fest or Feast or whatever and winning off the field. He was voted least trusted NFL executive by a pool of player agents. Oh, he also had a hand in the Hainsworth and D'Angelo Hall salary dump situation, which got their cap reduced by like $36 million. And then by several accounts, he threw an embarrassing tantrum about it at the owners meeting which contributed, by the way, to the commissioner and all other owners now hating the Redskins all the more and constantly having it out for them. And finally, he has the most punchable face I've ever seen. Okay, so we've established that he's a disaster. So with hashtag FireBruceAllen taking the internet by storm, for Dan to then not only refuse to upgrade his position, but to actually now hand Bruce even more power with like a promotion of sorts, reportedly, Again, reportedly. I have no choice but to agree with the many other observers who have summarized this move as an emphatic double middle finger from the Redskins ownership to the Redskins fan base. I mean, it is war right now. I hate them. I absolutely loathe Dan and Bruce and all the more so over these last two weeks while this has been unfolding or like not unfolding or whatever. And it is extremely clear on social media that I am not alone. This is a major, major majority of Redskins fans that are just frothing at the mouth with burning hatred for everyone in charge of running their favorite team. But Dan is defiant and he has no accountability in this regard. So if Bruce is his drinking buddy and his connection to the lore of the Redskins past and also his shield, although I think that's perhaps getting a little bit overstated now because he's not causing us to hate Dan any less. Anyway, whatever reason Dan has for keeping Bruce on, oh, maybe it's the stadium negotiation, whatever, man. He can do whatever he wants, and he does not care what we want. And I would encourage you to interpret it as an insult to your emotional investment in the franchise. I have intentionally avoided giving to Dan Snyder and his business even a dollar of my money for over 10 years, unless in the very strictest sense you consider my contribution of whatever little sliver of my cable bill that does, sadly, make its way into his pocket inevitably. But I don't buy tickets, I don't buy gear or swag, I go out of my way to avoid making this venture profitable for Dan Snyder. And I cannot encourage you or implore you strongly enough to consider doing the same, please. I don't know if it will be enough. I don't know if we can reach him that way. But he doesn't care what we say or tweet. He really only cares what we buy. So I hope you will join me in showing him that we demand change. The Redskins, as they currently exist, don't have nothing going for them. In other words, they do have some things going for them. Trent Williams, for example, might be exiting his prime, but he's still an outstanding player. Brandon Sheriff, outstanding young player. Darius Geis, possibly a really good player, at least very high ceiling. 
Uh, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis. Whew, that's the best, literally the best thing they've got going for them. Great-looking, young, stud defensive line. Kerrigan, uh, like Trent Williams, probably soon to exit his prime, but still a really good player. Mm, Quinton Dunbar might uh, soon be a well-above-average corner. Um, Sean Dion Hamilton and Trey Quinn might soon develop into good players. And the kicker, punter, and long snapper are all excellent. Okay, so it's not zero. There's, there's a few good things there. But they're not a good team. And they're not like right on the doorstep of being a team that we should call good. If we have appropriate, realistic, calibrated ideas for measuring that. And I don't want to hear about the injuries on that subject anymore. I get it when you say they're not merely an excuse. They are a fact. They factually actually happen. And yes, they did. The Redskins lost a lot of games or games played for starters, especially quarterbacks this year. I get it. It happened. But I'm going to vomit if I hear even one more time that behind closed doors, the team is fond of or in the habit of recalling that they were, quote, six and three before Alex got hurt, end quote. Okay, first of all, they were going to be 6-4 and four under Alex, okay? Alex got hurt when they were down two scores on the road to a playoff team. They weren't coming back. He had thrown that horrendous pick six, and they were going to be 6-4 and four under Alex. In other words, within a game of 500. In other words, within a game of even statistically, by record, average or mediocre. And one game over the course of 10 games is easily within the range of error. They were an average team with Alex at best, despite the winning record. In that span, prior to Alex's leg injury, the Redskins only beat one playoff team, and that was the Cowboys, and they only beat them by a field goal, and that's when the Cowboys missed the last field goal. Other than that, no impressive wins. Yes, they beat the Packers convincingly while Aaron Rodgers was hobbling around on his own nearly broken leg at the time. Only three of the six wins were by more than one score, and one of those was the Bucs when they gave up like 900 yards of offense, and it was just an anomaly. Another was against the Cardinals, who had the first frickin' overall pick in the draft. And, you know, in case you've already forgotten, not to kick him when he's down, just briefly, yes, Alex probably was sort of like maybe willing the Redskins to some of those narrow wins with his outrageous off-the-charts 11 out of 10 intangibles, but reminder, on film, he didn't even look good. When they were winning, he wasn't looking good. P.S. Colt didn't look good either. The Redskins during that period were benefiting from an unsustainable, favorable advantage in the uh, turnover battle, or turnover margin, or whatever you want to call it. And I love this one. It felt this way, but I didn't know it, although I heard recently, several times, uh, from Kevin Sheehan on his podcast, which is very good. You should listen to it. This is great research. Prior to Alex's injury, the Redskins were leading the league in most field goals missed by their opponents. Ha! <laughs> Get it? That's real. This is what I'm saying. They weren't six and three when Alex got hurt. They were going to be six and four, and they were a lucky, flimsy six and four against a different schedule and under very slightly different circumstances with like maybe different weather. They would have been four and six. So, where am I going with this? The idea that they were like a good team until the injuries struck is not right. They were average at best before the injuries struck. And then when the injuries did strike, the depth wasn't as good as we thought because much of the depth was unsatisfactory when it had to see the field. Okay, you can get, you know, kind of bummed out that Dunbar got hurt, you know, pulled a hammy or shin injury or whatever, and then it turned into a nerve thing and they had to put him on IR. But you know what wasn't bad luck? 
their number four, number five, and number six corners this year going into week one were all lowly drafted or undrafted rookies. And guess what? Big shocker. When they had to play this year, they generally sucked. Okay, Stroman was like, okay, sometimes. Other times, sucked. Danny Johnson got eaten alive. Donis Alexander, they were afraid to even play him. Dunbar's injury was bad luck, but the poor depth behind him was bad planning. So trying to bring this around, if the team is going to say, yeah, we're not getting rid of Bruce Allen, we're not getting rid of Jay Gruden, and now, are you serious? They're saying, they're acting like maybe they're not even going to get rid of Minuski. We're not really making any significant changes because we were a good team until Alex got hurt. You just weren't that good. And then guess what? After he got hurt, you were horrible. Finished one and six, constant infighting on the defense, all corners playing 15 yards off the ball at almost all times. The defense, which we know does have some talent on it, completely imploded on the field and in the locker room. How are you going to keep Minuski around? He has got to go. So sorry for the rant, but resting on the laurels of that six and three is just killing me. At that time, even two games in first place, at their very peak, they did not look anywhere near as good as any of the six teams that eventually made the playoffs from the NFC. You can't maintain the status quo. You are not there yet. One last big point here. Even as bad as the team has been on the field over this last decade since Bruce Allen got into town, and even as embarrassing as they've been off the field in their hirings and firings and signings and non-signings, even in context of those many missteps, there are, I think, two things that the Redskins could have done or could be doing right now that may have allowed them to avoid this current situation where we hate their guts. Number one is talk to us, communicate with us occasionally. I'm talking about Dan and Bruce. We all know that you are making the major decisions. You are pulling the strings. Talk to us and try to explain your logic and your reasoning. I doubt that you can, but try. Prove that you have any modicum of awareness about the way things are. Apologize for the mistakes. Explain the head scratchers. Maybe we will listen and give you a chance. Don't trot Doug and Jay out to explain your actions. They can't. They don't know how. It's clear that sometimes they don't even agree with them. It's clear that sometimes they were in opposition to them. It's not fair for Doug and Jay to constantly have to explain the actions of Dan and Bruce. That's the one thing, the, the, the communication. And, and recently it has fallen to just comically low levels of transparency. I mean, Doc Walker said recently it's like the KGB. There are no pressers, no leaks, no nothing, no access. We have no clue where they are, what their plan is, what their vision is. So when they're stringing together bad seasons and questionable individual moves and not explaining anything about what they foresee for the next couple of years, having lost the benefit of the doubt for so many reasons, it's just going to make us hate you more. So talk. That's the one thing. They have completely botched that, blown that opportunity with some of the very worst public relations I've ever heard of in sports or business. And number two, I I don't, somehow I don't think this gets talked about enough, but this is like so huge, such a massive part of culture in a group, in a team. Again, you know, obviously sports, but even outside of sports, accountability. Don't just want to be one of these fans that like flies off the handle about accountability in like some vague sense. Here's the number one thing, the the number one reason I say that the Redskins as an organization don't have accountability. We have no idea, and by we I mean fans and like media too. No one knows 
who is officially making any decision. We don't know anybody's responsibility in the front office or the extent of interplay and shared responsibility between the front office and the coaching staff. Okay, the 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 everyone down from owner, president, to all these other people like Doug Williams and Eric Schaefer, and then Alex Santos, and even Kyle Smith, and then supposedly Jay Gruden is always like in the, in the room. Every single important thing that they do, good or bad, gets described by all of them as having been a Redskins decision. It is such a bullshit cover for whoever is actually making the decisions. I mean, we are left to deduce that Bruce is probably having final say in most roster decisions, but even that we don't know for sure. We can't hold any individual accountable because they all just hold these private meetings and then after the fact say it was a Redskins decision and they always lie. Jay always lies and says, we were all on the same page. Doug does too. I love Doug, but he lies. They always say we all agreed. There were no dissenters. They try to form this unified front and it's so bogus and it makes us distrust not just one or two of them, but all of them. Maybe it's not fair for me to say us. Okay, you're listening to me. These are my views, but maybe I'm projecting. I suspect that many of you feel what I'm feeling. It is so cowardly and so squirrely and just so infuriating to someone who cares about whether or not the organization succeeds for us to never know who is in charge of what and therefore be able to draw judgments on who's doing a good job and who isn't. Maybe some of the things that I've been blaming on Bruce are Doug's fault. Maybe some of the things that I've been blaming on Jay are Kyle Smith's fault. But who the hell would ever know? Their titles don't make any sense. There's a president, a senior vice president of player personnel, a senior vice president of football operations slash general counsel. Larry frickin' Michael is a senior vice president slash chief content officer. Then there's a director of pro personnel. Then there's a director of college scouting. Then there's the head coach who supposedly weighs in too. I mean, and I get that, that they all do have to work together and that, that that happens to an extent on every team. And they're not always going to come out and say, yeah, Jerron Christian was Doug's fault or Troy Apke was Kyle's fault. That's not exactly what I'm expecting. But when they refuse constantly to tell us where the buck stops... And when neither of the two most important and powerful people in the organization will come out and publicly take ownership in front of a microphone and field questions about the one move they made this year that didn't, like, literally had no impact on their play, but it was the number one thing that, get, that, that drew negative attention nationwide to the team, that being, of course, claiming Reuben Foster. By the way, Reuben Foster might turn out to be good, and if you remember my podcast after they claimed him, I didn't, like, crush it. I mean, that, that may end up, you know being a, a lottery ticket that scratches and wins. But the fact that neither Dan or Bruce came out to, to talk about it, the fact that Doug is the only one that talks and that when anybody asks Doug a tricky question, he basically like almost literally says, that's above my pay grade. Uh, my office is down at, at like the dark and cold end of the hall at the building. I don't discipline people. I don't make big decisions. I'm just a scout. He's the only guy that talks and he's constantly talking down his own authority. We don't know who individually, specifically, is at fault for anything. And therefore, because the team continues to suck for decade after decade, and embarrassingly so, I didn't even, you know, I forgot to point out in, in explaining that that 6-3 and three slash 6-4 and four start was kind of flimsy, just how horrendous the losses to the Saints and Falcons were. I mean, blowout losses even though they're supposedly, you know, they have a multi-game lead in the division. And then the Week 17 shutout against Philly when Philly was trying to get in the playoffs, 
at home, and then and the, Philly, the Eagles fans took over FedEx. Like, you've seen the videos, right? If you're not on Twitter, Google it. Google Eagles fan takeover FedEx. This is one of the most humiliating things, or should have been, for anybody associated with the organization. The Redskins constantly lose, and they frequently lose really big. And then they do embarrassing things, like the way they negotiated with Cousins, and the claiming of Reuben Foster. And then nobody ever comes out and takes ownership of it. Anyway, this is the second thing. Again, the first thing was just talk to us. Like, come out and... and Explain yourselves. But secondly, and maybe it's a corollary, but have defined roles. Explain to us, yes, we get it. Okay, you work together as a team. You all have input. But have roles, have titles that make sense, have like a a traditional hierarchy that gives us a, a lens or a prism through which to perceive and evaluate what happens with the team. And then maybe, you know, first of all, we won't hate all of you. And secondly, we might value those of, those of you who actually are doing a good job. Because right now, we don't know who that would be. It seems like you all suck. 